Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's October 3rd, 1992. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. If you were tuning into Saturday Night Live, Today in History in 1992, for the most part, you would have got what you were expecting. Jokes about the upcoming presidential election, Dana Carvey impersonating Dennis Miller, and sketch <laughs> characters like Sweet Jimmy, the world's nicest pimp. <laughs> what you probably wouldn't have expected is what happened towards the end of the show, when musical guest Sinead O'Connor pulled out a photograph of the Pope during her performance and tore it into pieces while defiantly staring down the camera at an audience of millions. And what's important to note is that no one was expecting it. Mm. No one at Saturday Night Live no one at NBC, not her manager, not her band, not the director, no one. She had very cunningly planned this stunt, even in the dress rehearsal, tearing up a different photo, a photo of a child soldier, uh, but keeping this um, controversial idea to herself until she was on live telly and there was nothing anyone could do about it. She said she was inspired by the moment when the Boomtown Rats went to number one in England with the song Rat Trap and Bob Geldof went on uh, Top of the Pops and knowing that he had now knocked John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John off the number one spot they'd been there for weeks and weeks and weeks he took a photo of them and ripped it up and she was like yes what I will do is do the same same thing only with a political slant and so she came up with this idea and the track choice of Bob Marley's war was a really poignant one for her and what she was attempting to protest was the widespread sexual abuse of children in the Catholic Church and her plan was to flip Marley's original war on racism and really kind of focus in on child abuse with her rendition. Yeah, O'Connor was there to promote her covers album, Am I Not Your Girl? And she had done two performances on the show. And the first one was um, Success Has Made a Failure of Our Home, originally sung by Loretta Lynn, which had gone off without a hitch. No when photos were torn no the singing of that song. <laughs> <laughs> then she came back on to perform War. And she was wearing, this time, the Rastafari star. A lot of people mistook it for being a star of David at the time. Mm. And so at the close of the song, she said, fight the real enemy. And that's when she held up her photo of Pope John Paul II. And I have to say, she picked one where he's like kind of smiling in front of a crowd she could have picked one that was a bit more sinister but this one actually had a specific uh, resonance and it was a photo that had hung up in her mother's bedroom she had a very fractious relationship with her mother who she claimed was abusive to her when she was growing up and so she had chosen that for, for that specific reason and also that makes sense as to why of course she wasn't tearing it up in rehearsal she only had that one photo and so she tears it into pieces while looking down the lens of the camera she blew out the candles around her and walked off the stage and watching it there is no audible audience reaction mm. but that in itself of course is a reaction mm. yes on saturday night live yeah. for a warmed up audience who are there to squeak and howl at particularly unfunny sketches to be silent <laughs> and not know what to do yeah. is in itself a kind of commentary isn't it and 
I'd never seen it before, actually. I'd just seen stills of it, because obviously it wasn't transmitted here in the UK, but I, I sought it out on YouTube. Interestingly, it's not on the Saturday Night Live official channel, but Joe Pesci's skit the following week condemning her is. Saturday Night Live, still on the fence about child abuse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not sure that looks so great. But anyway, um, it is, of course, on the internet. And I'd never understood until I saw it just how visibly angry she is. Mm. in this i mean despite the fact that it is performance art really i mean it is as we said the most planned of acts she took the photo from her mother's wall like a decade before and sat on it and waited (laughs) for this moment so it's it's very planned and it's very deliberate and it's very rehearsed but it's also raw and angry yeah and there's just you're watching it now you don't know how to react and what it is i suppose is that you've got someone remembering their own abuse being re-traumatized in the moment, but also taking that moment to own that experience. That's what you're watching. That's why it's unsettling. It's not just that she's tearing up a picture of the Pope and that feels controversial. It's that even if you don't understand what's behind it, she makes it pretty clear. She's saying the words child abuse, child abuse, then says evil and tears up the Pope's picture. Yeah, I mean, it is so obviously very personal to her as so many aspects of her career, interestingly, are. She, uh, in the Nothing Compares to You video, which obviously shot her to fame, she cries this single tear, which, you know, was really this this moment that, as she said herself in interviews later, made the world fall in love with her. And what she was remembering was her mother, who had just recently before that, just a few years earlier, uh, died in a car accident. She had this really, really tormented relationship with her mother, as you mentioned, Rebecca, who not only, she says, physically abused her, but also encouraged her to start shoplifting. And the shoplifting that she did led her as a 14-year-old to be sent to to uh, Dublin's notorious church-affiliated Magdalen Laundries, which were these Catholic institutions for so-called fallen women uh, that were homes of, you know, just the worst kinds of abuse and almost quasi-slavery, really. And although she was obviously very unhappy there, O'Connor fascinatingly credits it with having, like, her stay at the Magdalen Laundries as having saved her life, because it was there that she received her first guitar and uh, a punk rock parker, which were gifts from a sympathetic nun. Yeah, I mean, I think even O'Connor didn't realise when she did this in 1992, the scale of child abuse across the world that was being perpetrated by the Catholic Church, which came to light later. I mean, hundreds of thousands of instances. She was just thinking about her childhood in Ireland. Mm. And I think maybe that's why in America this was slightly misinterpreted, because although, as we found out later, was going on there too, you know, maybe you sort of have to be Irish to understand where this anger was really coming from. Um, She said in her memoirs, the cause of my own abuse was the church's effect on this country, Ireland, which had produced my mother. I spent my entire childhood being beaten up because of the social conditions under which my mother grew up. I would compare Ireland to an abused child. Yeah, immediately after, the way that particularly America, but other countries as well, reacted to what she had done was just with, you know, not just negativity, but almost a lack of comprehension. And that really prompted uh, O'Connor to start trying to get her message across more clearly. She began uh, sending out a a letter that she'd written to major news organisations in which she explained, the only reason I ever opened my mouth to sing was so that I could tell my story and have it heard. My story is the story of countless millions of children whose families and nations were torn apart in the name of Jesus Christ. So she started to say it really, really explicitly, 
having gone, oh, wait a second, um, this sort of artistic act of mine hasn't necessarily gone down so well. Let's just briefly count the ways in which this went down badly. Uh, NBC <laughs> had a thousand complaints. Uh, O'Connor had eggs thrown at her that evening as she left the studio because, of course, it's live TV. I mean, the moment it was done, there were people out to get her. Mm. Um, the Sun, back in the UK, splashed with Sinead She-Devil. The New York Daily <laughs> News went with Holy Terror. Uh, Catholic groups pushed for her records to be banned. Her record CDs and tapes were publicly destroyed by a steamroller in Times Square. Frank Sinatra chimed in and called her one crazy broad. There were death threats sent to her management by the hundred. In the immediate aftermath, she was booed as she took to the stage a tribute concert for Bob Dylan at Madison Square Garden. That's a really nice... Do you see the video as well? Chris Christopherson had introduced her as an artist whose name has become synonymous with courage and integrity. And then she Mm. was trying to start her song... She was supposed to be singing Bob Dylan's song, I Believe in You, but every time she tried to start singing, the booze were drowning her out. So instead, uh, O'Connor dismissed the band and started to sing a cappella war that she'd sung on Saturday Night Live, the same song. And then she did leave the stage in tears where she was comforted by Christopherson, who's such a great guy, guys. And he'd later wrote a song for her <laughs> called Sister Sinead, which is a mega banger. So that's a really lovely song that he wrote in tribute to her. It's so funny in a way that it had this massive effect and that people really took against her when, you know, throughout her entire career, which at this stage hadn't been that long, really, she had done these obviously rebellious acts, the first of which being the fact that she had shaved her head. You know, she said that this Mm. was a response to her record company saying to her, you know, if you grow your hair out really long, you'll be really attractive and you should wear more miniskirts. And the first thing she, she, she did, she says, is she went straight around to the barber to get her hair cut. The year before this, in 1991, she pulled out of the Grammys, despite having been nominated for four awards, explaining at the time that they were honouring people who have achieved material success rather than those who have told the truth or done anything to inspire. And she, and in that same year, she'd also refused to perform in New Jersey if the Star Spangled Banner were to be played before the concert began. So, you know, already she was taking really extreme and potentially well, offensive to some people positions, but, um, but this was obviously the one that really, really hit. But she never really regretted this. There are a few occasions where she backpedalled on it slightly. Maybe not surprising, because she was bipolar after all. Um, In 1999, she did tell the BBC, I'm sorry I ripped up the photo. It was a disrespectful thing to do. I've never even met the Pope. I'm sure he's a lovely man. It was more an expression of frustration. Um, But uh, in her memoir, written 10 years later, she then writes, I feel like having a number one record derailed my career. My tearing up the photo put me back on the right track. (laughs) Nice. Tomorrow. It's now seen as a memorial to white supremacy, really, and has become a shrine to the Ku Klux Klan. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors.